Professor Rothfield, you are the Leroy Martin Distinguished Professor of Religious Studies at the University of Tennessee, Chattanooga. And you've been speaking as one of the keynote speakers at the Spirituality Conference in Waterford on Spirituality and the Professions. And you've been speaking about the relationship between psychology and religion and how they were divorced fairly abruptly, looking particularly at William James. Can you talk to me about that process and how you outlined it today? Sure. Uh, William James was an extremely interesting psychologist because he produced two classic texts. One was the Principles of Psychology where he said, let's take the assumption that psychology should be a natural science and treat it as if it was one. And he wrote this massive textbook trying to exclude metaphysical claims about religion and treat psychology solely as a natural science. And when he got done, he was extremely disturbed because he said that when you look at what we've achieved, we've achieved very little, that we have a few relationships between brain states and psychological states, but the actual significance of religion and spirituality have been ignored. So he then abandoned treating psychology as a natural science and said it was a provisional assumption and it doesn't work. And he then wrote his second classic text called Varieties of Religious Experience. And in that text, he took the content of religious seriously. And he said in order to do that, we have to take a different metaphysical approach. And so he accepted the possibility and indeed the likelihood that religious descriptions were about real phenomena with real ontological significance. And that meant that psychology could not be treat religion simply as a natural science. And when he did that, it, he wasn't accepted really within the academy, isn't that right? I mean, this created more tension. It wasn't welcomed among the, the, the scientific community. It wasn't welcomed among the scientific community because early psychologists gained their credibility by saying they could provide an alternative to religion and they wanted to unmask religion as being a superstition and a falsehood and replace it with psychology. And so the mainstream psychologists then continued to treat psychology as a natural science and ignored William James forcing a dialogue between psychology and religion. And that book, Varieties of Religious Experience, that William James wrote, I mean, it really is an amazing account and the in-depth study of spiritual experiences that human beings have. Yes, the great contribution of uh, James's Varieties of Religious Experience is he did something that immediately surprised people. He refused to talk about religious beliefs. And the reason he refused to do that is he said religious beliefs are ways of interpreting certain kinds of experiences. And if you start out looking at religious beliefs, we run into all kinds of contradictions because the same experience can be interpreted differently. 
So he said instead, let's look at that fundamental experience, which is part of human nature, that fuels religious interpretations, and leave the religious interpretation aside in favor of exploring that experience. Now, how was that received? Uh, it was received with mixed reviews, and the reason it was received with mixed reviews is people did not accept that there could be experiences that were relatively independent of culture and language. But James subtitled his great work, A Study in Human Nature, and he said there are experiences that are preconceptual, that are intuitive, and escape the shaping of culture. And then what happens is people, when they try to express those experiences, then they must express them in the language and the history of their culture. And what that meant was that religious differences in interpretation could mask an underlying similarity in experience. And James says the task of the psychologist is to reveal that experience and then explore the way people interpret it in various traditions. Psychologists, of course, really didn't take up that challenge too readily and it would appear that modern psychology took as its job almost a way of explaining away the experience. Is that because the scientists don't want to handle something that is ineffable at its essence? Exactly. William James, when was asked to explain the nature of this experience, he responded with two famous claims. Number one, that it's noetic. It is a source of knowing, something that's deep and intuitively revealed to you, but it's ineffable. It can't be expressed in words. And that means you have to have the experience in order to understand and know the experience. And therefore, what you need to do is read religious texts as trying to, like poetry, point to an experience that they're not really describing, but they're trying to evoke. And then once you understand what's being evoked, the differences in interpretation are not nearly as disruptive. And so James can say there's hope that the great religious tradition of the world actually share an underlying awareness and reality that leads to the hope that we need not be separated by interpretations, but rather accept the reality they're trying to express. I took from your talk this morning as you explained this that there was also a sense of a sort of a materialistic model of the human being, say, like as in modern medicine, that has moved more and more toward treating the human being as a body, as a mechanistic tool, and that the same process happened in psychology. So you have explaining St. Paul's experience on the road to Damascus as an epileptic fit. You spoke to that today and, and I thought it was quite eloquent. Would you explain that? Sure. Uh, probably the most significant chapter in James's classic text, The Varieties of Religious Experience, is started at the very beginning where he tries to handle what he calls medical materialism. And he says it may be the case that, for instance, Paul, Saul on the road to Damascus had an epileptic seizure. It may be the case that we could say that that uh, Martin Luther was a manic depressant. It may be the, the case that St. Teresa was an hysteric. But that doesn't mean that that description says that the experiences they had are not valid. 
And so he refused to say that because somebody is an epileptic, because somebody is hysteric, the way they experience the world, the way they understand the world, has no meaning. So in a famous move, he would say, you don't understand religion by looking at its proximate causes, but you look at it by understanding its fruits. What is the significance? Not every epileptic becomes a St. Paul. St. Paul, in his epileptic seizure, something appeared. He learned something. He understood something. And that needs to be accepted for its existential and spiritual significance, not dismissed simply because he might have been an epileptic. You also tackled the question of people who have said that, look, I can get an ecstatic, ineffable religious experience by taking drugs. You said you were a child of the 60s and LSD was the great hallucinatory drug. But you also responded to that challenge of reducing um, religious experience to something that is just a mood-altering thing that can be brought about by even a drug, never mind a condition. Sure. James, uh, James himself, for instance, uh, referred to the anesthetic revelation, revolution that was going on in his time. And at his time, one of the great anesthetics was nitrous oxide. And he was intri- uh, intrigued that nitrous oxide did two things. It, it could alleviate pain so that it's a wonderful kind of drug that if you're in pain, you take nitrous oxide and the pain goes away. But James says something else is interesting. It's not that the pain goes away, but that you become happy, that there's a joyous appreciation of life. And so he said drug effects that are drug effects are simply drug effects, and that can be understood physiologically. But if there are fruits of drug effects that come from getting rid of the pain, right, then that has to be understand as something different. And so he's saying if you take psychedelic drugs, for instance, and you have certain kind of interesting experiences, that's fine. They're interesting experiences. They're not necessarily of any spiritual significance. But what's significant about them is if they don't just give you a particular drug effect, but they open up your awareness to something else, another realm of reality. And then when they do that, you're interested in exploring that reality and not the drugs. And so the drugs just disappear because they were a tool to make you aware of something that now you want to explore without the drugs. And you referred to an actual experiment that took place in the States around that kind of area. Sure, and there's been a whole series of experiments now where we try to arrange set and settings, give people certain kind of drugs in that set and setting in order to facilitate not just the particular drug effects, but an awareness of another kind of reality. So it's like looking out a window. And once you look out the window and you see there's another reality, another dimension to this reality, what you want to do is explore that reality, not stay within the room and where the window simply points to it. Nonetheless, there are times when, say, people who are in maybe schizoid episodes or who are in mental breakdown and they will quote for example the book of revelation is very often a book that's quoted or like he's not saying that there aren't times when people have breakdowns and use religious imagery in that but they're actually having a breakdown 
Of course, and James would make would make a distinction between having experiences that are diabolical and destructive and delusionary and those that are not. And the distinction he would make is you judge them by their fruits again. And it's like saying if you ran across an aberrant priest who decided to commit a crime and hit somebody with a crucifix, you say clearly that's a misuse and, a, and, and an unfortunate circumstancing having nothing to do with the truth practice of the faith. So people can misuse drugs, misuse uh, religion in all kinds of ways. And James says we understand that because we understand the distinction between a valuable, meaningful religious experience and one that's destructive and harmful to others. I wonder what, if anything, to say to something like, I know he was writing much earlier, but say now in, in the 21st century, there are a lot of people who are discovering meditation. And I heard of somebody who went on a 10-day intensive meditation course with very little food. It was a Buddhist-type retreat. Lovely young woman who, at the end of it, had a breakdown and was very unsettled. But some part of her also felt that maybe people were saying well this is a kind of a cleansing that you're going through and that you're achieving another reality whereas I remember it was a real conflict about whether she would be hospitalised because she was breaking down mm-hmm. at the same time and the psychiatrists were saying no no this is a complete breakdown and I know people close to her thought no she's going through a process to get to another level it's very difficult isn't it sure. to get this balance right Sure, it's extremely difficult, but that's been in the long tradition that religions have been able to guide people. So if you think of religious traditions that have a long tradition of activities to facilitate religious experience, you can think of the great Catholic meditative traditions. And part of what these traditions recognize is that you can become confronted with all kinds of demons, diabolical material from the unconscious. And the trick is whether or not you can be guided through it and come out the other side. And that's why spiritual guides in religious traditions are so important because they can distinguish between something that's destructive and something that goes through. So, for instance, in psychedelic research, almost all the quality research, you are in the presence of somebody who's a guide, who's taken psychedelic drugs, who's gone through the experience, and then even bad experiences become good experiences because you're confronted with material, you work it through, and you come out the other side. So the trick is to notice an experience that's simply not got the possibility of letting you come out the other side with assistance, or that would simply be destructive. And that's the distinction that the the religious guide has to be able to make. That's a very interesting point, because I know in this particular instance that I was quoting to you, there were no on-hand spiritual guides. Even the person who was giving this retreat was doing it remotely but, and not present. And the answer is it's extremely dangerous. It's, it's kind of like an analogy uh, where if somebody just throws you in the water and you've never had any experience swimming, it's a dangerous thing. You might make it to the shore, but you might not better to take somebody who gradually takes you into the water, teaches you how to swim, then you come out the other side and you no longer fear the water. 
But if you go in on your own, it's extremely dangerous. And all of the great meditative and, and religious traditions recognize it, and that's why there is a guide. And therefore, would you think that there's an implication for modern psychiatry and psychiatric hospitals where people who are having or presenting with some kind of religious experience who may even be afraid to say it because then they know or they're going to think that I'm really losing my mind, that if they were accompanied also, like the psychiatrists were working in tandem with spiritual guides, would this be something that would be really desirable, which we don't have nowadays, although psychiatry is beginning to look at the area of spirituality as as something really important. Sure, and one of the major problems that psychology now recognizes is we don't just need a psychology of religion and we don't just need a religious psychology we need a psychology and religion and that was William James point psychologists need to understand the psychiatry and issues involved in mental distress and psychiatrists need to understand spiritual issues and religion and they need to communicate and that's why you need a team psychology and religion. It's not psychology or religion. Thank you very much indeed for sharing your wisdom with us, Professor Ralph.